Why are so many physicians interested in real estate investments? Why do physicians make such good real estate investors? And what's the crick and dirty of assessing a real estate syndication? Find out on this episode. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a show by me, Dr. Bradley Block, and this is a practical guide for practicing physicians where we interview experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. Dr. Pranay Parikh, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Hey, Bradley, super excited to chat. So what is your real estate origin story, right? Because I know I've seen you online since I think you were a resident, right? So you you started this real estate business pretty early, got connected with Peter Kim, formerly known as Passive Income MD. And then, you know, big reveal, he kind of like uh, Jim Dolly did, Mm -hmm. lost his anonymity. So you got started in the game pretty early. Tell us about that. Yeah. So when I, uh, actually, it seems uh, in residency, but I had just graduated residency and I knew that it was really important what I did with my money than how much I made it. Because while I was growing up, I I lived a pretty good middle-class life, but my dad had to work two jobs to get there. You know, I never saw him and it was nice. He helped college and a small part of med school, but that was at the cost of our relationship or uh, at least a close relationship that I saw with other people. So I knew that when I grew up that I wanted to do something different. So now that I was making the attendance salary, I said, okay, I got to take this money and I got to be smart with it, you know? And I had, just like all other doctors, we had do this delayed gratification. And I thought if I put money in the stock market and my retirement accounts that Yes, I'd be able to enjoy it, but that'd be 35 years in the future. I can't really live off that money. I can't make substantial change. So I looked around. I looked to see what I could do. And real estate, it seemed not that bad. You know, I figured out uh, I could do cardiology. I could do all this other stuff. I could figure out real estate. So I bought my first four unit in Long Beach, California. And uh, it wasn't that bad. You know, I didn't know. I went to the closing where they, you do an inspection. And I had no idea what I was looking for. I was just nodding my head. But, you know, eventually I kind of figured things out. But over time, I, after trying to find another property, it just took me so long that I thought there had to be a better way. And that's kind of when I found Passive Real Estate and Peter and the rest is history. The rest is not history. I'm sure there's more to the story than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I made a conscious decision after residency, after about my four unit, that I'm going to be more involved. I'm going to try to meet mentors, other people that are better with their money than I am, you know? And so someone on one of those doctor Facebook groups had posted, hey, does anyone live in Los Angeles? And I said, hey, I live in Los Angeles. I will host an event. I'll pay for it. I'll do the cleanup. I'll market it. Like, I'll do everything. I just want to be involved. And uh, Peter actually saw that and messaged me on uh, F- Facebook Messenger and our very first phone call was three and a half hours. In the middle, my wife had to be like, uh, let me listen to who that is. Is that really a guy or are you talking to some girl? <laughs> but yeah, we just instantly connected. And he's like, hey, I'm growing this Facebook group of my own. Do you want to help? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll be honest. Like, I don't know how to do it. I was Googling a lot of stuff. Like, how do you increase Facebook engagement and all that stuff? But he saw that I was willing to put in the effort and the time. And it was unpaid. And we just kind of grew it over time. And then we're, we decided, hey, we work really well together. Let's create a course. Let's create a real estate company. And then P 
Peter and I have very similar personalities, which is great because we amplify each other's strengths, but we also amplify each other's weaknesses. And so after we started Ascent Equity Group, our real estate company, we brought on Myth that's much more analytical, much more cynical uh, to our like unbridled optimism. Now we really have a good rounded out team. Nice. So you find someone to hedge your, uh, hedge your weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It, it, I think strategic partners, are, it just makes it life so much fun. Peter and I did that for Passive Income MD, and now we added myth. And it's just, it's fun to hear other people's sides. And, you know, we get into arguments, but good arguments that we all have strong beliefs, but loosely held. So a lot of times we'll have completely opposite viewpoints, but at the end, we'll have something that just looks so much better with all three of our interests. Real estate seems to be a common thread here with physicians. It seems like if you're going to have a side gig, it's going to either be coaching or real estate. And that's that's it, right? Like you don't hear of like, hey, is anyone else opening up a Kentucky Fried Chicken franchise, right? Like there's no, at least that I've seen, uh, physician Facebook group for franchises or physician, <laughs> you know, like there are other ways to make money out there aside from uh, real estate and the stock market and working as a physician. But it seems like a lot of physicians really gravitate towards that as as a side gig. And the reason I'm saying side gig is because it is an investment, yes, but it's also more work for more income. So, you know, I, I think it's fair to, I mean, for you, maybe it's a, maybe it's main gig and the physician's a side gig, <laughs> but, you know, for the most part, I think we're, we're doing it as a side gig. So why do you think so many physicians gravitate towards it? I completely agree with you. Coaching, uh, coaching is, I mean, physicians are natural coaches, right? When you're an intern, you coach the medical students and when you're a senior resident, you coach and you, so on. And real estate also, uh, it's an investment, but it's, it's fun. You get to use a different side of your brain. But one issue I see with people is they, they buy one unit or even five units. And it's hard to get scale when you have that less. Uh, the people that are really successful have 20, 30, 40. And I'm not saying you do that at once, but you build a portfolio over time. You really have to treat it like a second job. And that's something I actually didn't want to do. Eventually, I did it because that's what Ascent is. But in the starting, I, it's a lot of work, even if you have a property manager. So if you're thinking about getting into real estate, really consider it like a second job. And there's some benefit in doing that. So maybe your spouse wants to cut down his or her hours and go into that. But you know, I'd argue that there are a lot of physicians that are in other stuff, but there's not a quorum. There's not like, hundreds of them. And that's why you don't hear it. And a small plug, uh, Peter and I do this virtual conference called Leverage and Growth Summit every year. Free, it's in March, it's virtual. What we do is we highlight people that are doing interesting stuff in medicine. So quick example, we had this uh, radiation oncologist, she realized that she would radiate women's breasts that have breast cancer, and they'd have just so much pain uh, when they put on a bra and they could never find a bra that works. So she created her own. We had this pediatrician who. Uh, saw all the complaints about all the toxins. And, you know, I'm not saying like fake toxins, like the, the legitimate toxins that were in a lot of plastics. And she created a whole class of uh, uh, steelware for children. So it's cool stuff like that, but it's, you don't have a ton of people. You have one-offs here and there. So you don't necessarily hear about them as much. Uh, but real estate's something that we can kind of pick up. It's different and it's fun. I do see some physicians in my feed who also do sell some things that 
capitalize on people's fears of fake toxins. So that's 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 out there too. Hopefully this person's doing, you know, what they're doing is, is legit. But you know, there's there's some fear mongering, which is actually, unfortunately, a really lucrative side gig. You can make a lot of money off of fear. No doubt, no doubt. And and it's, it's same with uh real estate. And that's why I know we'll probably talk about this later. How do you pick between the different people that are in real estate? Because it seems like everyone, especially syndications, everyone is getting into it, right? They're raising money. And you're right, because you really have to differentiate yourself. Um, And it's not just, oh, hey, this is a doctor. I trust doctors. That's part of it. But you do have to differentiate yourself. And it's easy to say, look at the stock market. It's down 25%, which it is for the year. But you have to have more than that. You have to really know what you're doing because there is risk in uh, real estate and uh, it's a different type of risk than the stock. We talk a lot about side gigs on this show. So if your side gig or even your main gig is a medical technology product that you want to pitch, or you're even in the early stages of product development, you could benefit from consulting with Charm Economics. They use government data, peer-reviewed journals, and trade literature to support and enhance your business model at all stages. Whether an early stage pitch deck creation, return on investment modeling, or peer-reviewed article production, they can help. See how Charm Economics can transform your business development today so you can focus on building your product, growing your network, and implementing your vision. Check them out at charmeconomics.com. Yeah, the stock market's down, but interest rates are up, which cuts into the profits for real estate investments. But at the same time, inflation's up, so you do want more in real estate. So there's, yeah, there's a lot, there are a lot of moving parts. So when you buy a single unit, right, there's a lot of work, there's a lot of risk, it's all on you as you did with your, um, with your first investment, a lot of opportunity for high return, but you know, no risk, no reward. On the other end, there are REITs, right? These real estate investment trusts where you're mitigating your risks with scale, but it's a fund of a fund of buildings. So your returns are getting devoured by fees, right? So where does Ascent fall in that continuum? Yeah. And uh, I like how you called it a continuum because it, it is a spectrum, right? And we like to think about how much kind of responsibility you have. So if you put your name on the lease, right? Your own, you're a landlord, there's that. And then on the other end is like REITs where it's, you can buy, sell, you have zero input. You just buy it like you would any stock. So I'd like to talk a little bit about, so real estate investment trust, it's a company, they go out and buy real estate and you buy shares of that company. Some are publicly traded, which is nice because say tomorrow you need money, you just sell your REIT. You sell your shares in that REIT and you could take it out. So that's what we call liquid, meaning you can get access to your money quickly. There are private REITs uh, like Blackstone, uh, like Starwood. And you might have heard that a lot of them are having issues because a lot of people, even those, you can take your money out and it's relatively liquid. But a lot of them are having problems because too many people are trying to get their money out and they're having to sell their properties at a loss. So that's an issue. Uh, We're somewhere in the middle. What we do is we buy single properties. We partner with someone. So it's not three doctors that are running this property. It's uh, someone that has billions of dollars assets under management. But it's a little bit different than other people. So we don't take a small piece of a large deal. We take the whole deal, meaning we bring in 90 to 95% of the money in the deal. And that gives us a lot of rights. In real estate lingo, it's called major decision rights. So to kind of push our weight around, meaning we can tell them when to buy, when to sell, what kind of renovations we want. 
And that gives us a lot of protection because we have so much. And that's kind of how Goldman Sachs, Blackstone, that's how they buy properties. They don't really sell, send their people in their $4,000 suits to Alabama, right? They partner with someone, Boots Underground, that kind of runs it and they help with their operational efficiency. So that's kind of our, our niche. And uh, I know a lot of other people will find a deal and they'll just have a very small piece of it. And there's a role for those people as well. Uh, but we've been fortunate to grow over time because we have had uh, a large amount of investors interested in our deals. So it sounds like you cut a tier of fees out of that by cutting out like another middleman. Correct. Correct. So when you have, so for example, a REIT, there's a company at the very top and then they, so they have their level of fees and then you'll have a sponsor that is working and they'll have their fees. Potentially you have one more layer. So there's multiple layers, but because they have so many deals, they have to have fun level fees. So our goal is to try to get as much out of that as we can. And we negotiate with our partner, like, Hey, Together, our fees need to look like this, and we need to try to decrease that. And it's important when you're looking at returns, when you're trying to compare one deal to the next, make sure it's net return or uh, investor level, meaning that those are the returns that hit your pocket after all the fees, after all, everything is said and spoken for. Uh, because sometimes people will just put their returns, it'll look great at like a 20 IRR, uh, but then they haven't taken their fees and all that stuff out. Yeah. Okay. So I think I understand your, the way your, your business works, which is mm -hmm. like someone's looking for money to invest in a building, right? And you say mm -hmm. us. So instead of them having to find multiple people to invest in their building, you say, we'll just take it all. We'll take the whole thing. So they won't have to spend time and effort finding a number of investors to put together the deal. Your job is to find those investors because you already have them at your disposal and then you just take most of the building. Yeah, exactly. And we're fortunate because instead of having to go out and find these deals, they come to us. So for example, in August of last year, we got a deal that had an interest rate of 3.9 fixed for nine years and interest rates are in the fives and sixes then. We're actually looking at a deal right now where the interest rate is 4.3%. Now it's in the sixes and sevens, and I've seen, even seen 9% interest rate. So one of the benefits in being able to do what we do is that people bring us deals like that. And we work across multiple states, multiple partners. And uh, so we're really able to kind of be cherry pick what we think uh, looks the best. So it's not like medicine where you're going to need to get a medical license everywhere you have a building. You can just, uh, you just do the deal. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. I was thinking about trying to get credentialed at, uh, so I have a California license. I was thinking about getting credentialed at another hospital, but it takes like four months. It's such a ridiculous process, but yeah, we work across the U S and we're agnostic. We, if you, if you bring a good deal and you have a good track record, we'll work with you. So when you're looking at a deal, so let's say you're teaching someone about real estate, right? Someone who's going to be going to these syndication meetings where, mm -hmm. you know, these meet and greets where you're trying to find people putting together deals, right? You're their mentor. What are you telling them about what they should be looking for? Yeah. So there's kind of three different facets for this. The first and most important is who's running the deal. 
And uh, it's it's just like if you have LeBron, right? Your team's probably getting to the finals or at least the playoffs or Kobe. Uh, but uh, if you put even LeBron on a bad team, right? But then say you have a team of people that just suck. Um, even if you're the Lakers, you're probably not going to be very successful. So number one, what does a team look like? Have they been around? You know, LeBron now is much more skillful than LeBron 10 years ago. So what what have they done? You know, if there's some person, not LeBron, but you say they've won three finals, I'd be like NBA finals. I'd be like, okay, yeah, this dude is pretty legit, right? So what is their track record and who are they? So that's number one. And I, I'd say most of the time that disqualifies a lot of people. And then three, does that person get along with you is the, is how they communicate. So some, some people are, uh, you know, very salesy. Some people are, uh, uh, I worked with this one person that uh, I stopped sending people because he was just super sarcastic and I would send people to him. Uh, this is back before we created a set, but people would just feel like they were talked down to, you know, we doctors aren't necessarily real estate experts, but how are they willing to talk to you? Will they explain things to you or do they just look at you as a check with a little bullseye? Right. So a lot kind of comes down to who is running the deal. That's by far, if that's the only thing you look at, that's, uh, that's the second, uh, first thing to look at. Number two, how does the money flow from the deal to you? I've seen great sponsors, but uh, they are getting the lion's share of the money, which kind of sucks because you're doing a lot of risk. They have control, right? And you're putting in almost all the money. You should get most of the reward, right? And so how does the money work? So if you have a great team and a very equitable kind of waterfall is what we call it, way money flows from the deal to you, that's great. And then the third and the least important is to look at the actual deal itself. You know, I, I, most people do this backwards. They focus on like, what market is it? Uh, what does the deal look like? But if, if you have a great sponsor, the deal's probably going to be okay. I, I bet you they're not going to buy in the middle of like Ohio or like Alabama unless it, it makes a ton of sense. We do look at that briefly, make sure it's nothing crazy. Like you don't want to buy, uh, like you wouldn't want to buy somewhere in Manhattan right now uh, because it's doing very poorly uh, or San Francisco. But that's the least important because you assume if you've done your due diligence, the team has a great track record. They know what they're doing. So wait, wait. Those I are thought for investments, you know, you should be brave when everyone else is scared and scared when everyone else is brave. Right. So if everyone's <laughs> fleeing San Francisco and Manhattan, seems like a good time to buy. It is. It is a good time to buy if you really know what you're doing. And I personally want to hit, uh, you know, uh, line drive. I want to hit doubles, triples, event, sometimes get a home run. But uh, the problem is real estate cycles take eight to 10 years. And, uh, you know, there's a quote that uh, the market can be, uh, can act, uh, forgetting, uh, it can, it can act crazier or it can, uh, it could be opposite of what you think for longer than you, or it could be not rational for longer than you can stay solvent. So you have to be able to survive. So I'd rather do something in like a Dallas, which has been great. We're looking at a deal in Austin, which is great. Orlando, uh, there's these areas that you know. And then, okay, so last thing about the market, two things to look at. One, population growth. You want to make sure that there's more people that are going into the property, uh, into the market. And two, you want there to be job growth. 
So for example, Austin, and I, I keep mentioning that just because that's out of the top of my head. Uh, Austin's uh, unemployment rates in the twos nationally were great. We're in the 3.4, uh, but Austin's even better. So that makes me feel very good about buying a property there. Um, so Manhattan, the, the unemployment's a lot worse. People are moving out, no doubt long-term people are going to move in. It's just, I don't know if I can hold a property that expensive for that long. All right. So you said when we're choosing a sponsor, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the, the, the top priority. Cause if they know what they're doing, then mm -hmm. they're going to make it work. Like even if they're working with a product that's less than great, they're going to find a way to make it great. Cause they've got this track record and they wouldn't have done it to begin with if it wasn't going to be great. Okay. So if I'm selecting a sponsor, should I choose a real estate professional who's, this is their career or right. A physician who's doing this as a side gig, right? So I get that human beings are tribal and we tend to trust people that are like us. So physicians are going to trust other physicians, right? If some, if some real estate professional comes up to me, you know, trying to sell me on their, on their investment, I'm going to be skeptical. They're just looking for my money. They just see me as a mark because I'm a physician, right? They're going to try and take advantage of me. Oh, these guys are doctors like me, so I'm inherently going to trust them, right? So that's how, you know, I think some of these decisions end up being made. But, you know, the more cynical side of me says, you know, why would, why would I invest with a full-time physician, part-time real estate person? Although, granted, you guys, it's the opposite, um, <laughs> rather than a full-time real estate person. That is a great question, and I'm surprised that I don't get it asked it more often because it, they're it's thinking very legitimate. It, they're thinking it they just don't say it <laughs> yeah and they should they should i don't know if they don't they want to offend me or not offend me but it, it is and i tell people when people ask what i do i tell them uh, my doctor is my sidekick because it is um, I, I do majority real estate so one quick example we make decisions that are different than a real estate professional so let me tell you about a deal that someone brought to me so it was in portland it was a screamer of a deal, like a 25% return. But what happened is in deals that are affordable housing, uh, you usually get a benefit for taxes for 15 years. And uh, this one, the, the tax, it's called an abatement where you get to save money on your taxes was expiring. So the person who owned it was like, mm, I don't want this anymore. And uh, we're selling it. So uh, a sponsor came to us. They said uh, like, yeah. We're going to go in. We're going to kick everyone out. We're going to add $600 per apartment. Uh, we're going to do it over three years. And it's going to be awesome. We're going to make a lot of money. You're going to make a lot of money. It's going to be great for everyone except those 300 people we're going to kick out. So sucks for them. Uh, we've done this a lot. The law's on our side. And uh, numbers-wise, on paper, it looks great. You know, And I'm sure someone took them up on that offer. And they probably made a fortune. But it's something that we specifically, it goes against our uh, morals, right? And so uh, we really try to look for a win-win. Like, hey, let's go in, let's buy a property, let's improve security, let's really make it like a family. Uh, so uh, our last property, we added these nice little uh, fences and this little garden. So even though that they live in an apartment, they could really, it feels like a home. And so sometimes we sacrifice return for that and we're okay with that. Uh, and so that's a little bit different, but two, and this happened pretty recently because we work with so many different people, 
And a lot of times we're kind of underestimated as doctors. We were working with this one sponsor. They are fully vertically integrated, meaning they do everything in-house, construction, property management, and it's kind of the gold standard to be vertically integrated. You know, it'd be like if you're doing a podcast and you're so successful, you do everything. You, you hire everyone and then you do everything in-house. So uh, we, we went there, we walked the properties around that property, and we found out that there was one that was a lot nicer. So we, we talked to them. We're like, hey, guys, we're doctors. We're looking at some real estate. Like, could you tell us about what vendor you use and how you guys do it? They're like, oh, yeah, we use this vendor. Uh, it costs this much. So we reached out to them. And uh, so long story short, compared to the vertically integrated, we were able to get higher level. So we were able to go from like really sucky uh, countertops to granite countertops, like really nice lights and save 600 bucks per unit renovations. And it's a couple hundred units. So that's a huge bump, right? And people don't necessarily think about doing that because they're vertically integrated. They think, oh, my team is the best. But, you know, we don't, we, we shop around, we talk to all these people and people are willing to talk to us. So I think there's, um, you know, we, we have a different level of integrity and, you know, it's a, it's a gray zone. I, I think it was to- totally legal what the, the original company did, but just doesn't sit right with us. Yeah, legal doesn't uh, mean right and illegal doesn't mean wrong, right? You got to yeah. you got to have a moral compass. You know, wonder wonder how those people sleep at night, right? You have to sleep at night thinking that you're the hero of the story and that person is clearly the villain. I'm sure they find a way in their mind how how to sleep, right? I think John Oliver did a episode I, I don't watch it anymore because it always puts me in a bad mood because it's always like <laughs> here's why the world's a terrible place um mm. on uh mobile homes. And yeah. these these parks and how private equity is coming in and buying them up and, you know, people are losing their homes and it's it's terrible. So I'm sure there's a lot of opportunities like that out there and ways to make money off of it. And maybe they were going to soup. Yeah, I have Saturdays. a firm stance uh, to not do mobile home parks. And I talked to one of the largest mobile home park owners in the U.S., casual conversation uh and he was saying that uh it's great you can keep increasing rent because they have nowhere else to go other than the streets right how do they sleep at night how do they sleep at night no no idea i know i know i couldn't and i tell our investors not only do i want you to get a good investment want you to sleep well knowing we're good stewards of your money so not just in terms of giving you a good return but putting it in places that you'd be proud to tell people that we're doing so it seems like the advantage of the physician, like the fact that you're, you're physicians, one is we know that our money is going to be in a good place because you guys have a moral compass. Also, you get to be, you get to go rogue a little bit and uh, not go rogue, but uh, <laughs> incognito, right? Not as real estate investors, but as physicians. And you can collect a little, a little information that way. Any other reason why, you know, and we know you guys are smart because <laughs> you made it through med school and you made it through residency and you can't do that unless you're pretty smart and pragmatic. So, uh, and and work hard. So we know you've got those you've got those traits because you're because you're one of us. But a- anything else? Yeah, I think a lot of uh, it, this gets thrown around a lot. Uh, but disruption. If you talk about Uber, you talk about Airbnb. They all came from outside of real estate. And a lot of times we're just doing things that are different. So the way we approach debt, and which is super important right now, the way we approach 
renovations. It, it, things have been done a certain way, just like in medicine, right? Now there's all these new antibiotics, there's all these new stuff, and we were doing things. And in the past, now we're like, shoot, we were actually hurting people. Like, for example, during COVID in the beginning, I was doing a lot of intubations and we we're like, oh, 92% time to intubate, right? And, uh, but that was just, that was standard of care. And so we are able to come from an outsider perspective, see like, oh, why do you guys do this? Why, do, why is it done like this? Can we do something differently? And I think that's extremely helpful and our, our deals kind of benefit. So um, can we use technology? Can we have virtual showings? Can we have leasing agents that are uh, virtual? Can we have flexibility? And everyone benefits. So real estate in general, and if you guys have been to our website, you'll know that we don't necessarily look like the traditional real estate people. And we went to a conference and we definitely don't look like the traditional real estate people. Uh, but I think that... Working as a physician, we're problem solvers, and having that ability, I think, is just huge uh, in real estate, which people are very kind of set in their ways. So in medicine, we don't really have to sell ourselves, although I, I would argue, and I do sometimes in this podcast, that that you do, that like, you know, each patient that you meet, you need to convince them that the plan is the right plan, and you also need to convince them that they should be sending their friends to you. That's how you grow your practice. I mean, you don't necessarily have to do that as a hospitalist. You don't want them to send their friends to you. <laughs> Come to the hospital and Dr. Perico will take care of you. But we need, we do need to be sales. We need, do need to maybe not acknowledge it, but it does happen. But now that you've got a fund, you're looking for money, you've got to, you've got to sell. So how does that feel now, you know, being in this different position? You know, I'd argue that selling at the hospital is, more difficult and the stakes are just so much higher, right? You have this person that has, is an alcoholic and delirium tremens and you're like, dude, sh stop drinking or someone that's addicted to heroin or you're having some of these difficult conversations about cancer and all this stuff. And I would say any conversation I've had uh, at the hospital is 10 times worse than or more difficult, uh, nerve wracking. I think a lot of times as physicians, we forget all the skills we have. We've learned so much. We've been through so much. And I have people come to me so often. They're like, Pranay, you think I could do this? I'm just a doctor. Seriously, you're a doctor. Like, I'm not just a doctor. You are a doctor. So forget the just. And a lot of these skills, that's why people are so successful. It's, uh, but we have to get past ourselves. And so that's number one. I remember, so I used to teach at USC, Intro to Clinical Medicine called ICM, where it was cool. Starting week two, we start talking to patients. And I'm, I'm teaching them. I was like, hey, before you go in the room, like, do, here's some box breathing, right? Here's where it's okay to touch people, you know? Here's how you wake people up. Like, you feel like you almost have to relearn stuff that you do on a daily basis without even thinking about it. So in the starting, yeah, it's nerve-wracking. Even though I've had all these very serious conversations, had to sell people to save their lives, right? You really, you're like, okay, dude, you have cirrhosis. Like, you really, really cannot drink anymore. But it's really just changing your mind. And uh, it's a circle because what I have learned to become more persuasive and uh, to influence um, in a good way, right? Um, one, because you have to do it. All the people that are have bad intentions, they're doing it too. So you need to do it if you're going to have a good influence. But two, a lot of the skills I learn in entrepreneurship and real estate, I'm able to take back into medicine. Like, hey, let me try this with this person because this is something different or like maybe they will respond to this way 
instead of the 10 other ways that I've tried. Because, you know, people are surprised when I'm talking to them. They're like, yeah, I've been here 10 times for heroin. Like, people just give up. They won't even talk to me. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm hoping that all those, I, I'm kind of building on all their experience that maybe one of these days it works, you know, and we shouldn't give up on people. So this is a good uh, opportunity actually to plug your podcast, MD on- to Entrepreneur, because I've, I've been listening to it. I think it's great. And, but you're not talking about being a physician there. I mean, you're talking about being an entrepreneur, but a lot of the skills that your guests talk about do translate into medicine, right? How to make your client, how to make your clients into raving fans. Well, we want to make our patients into raving fans, right? How to keep your staff and make sure that nobody ever leaves. Okay. We, we want the same thing. We don't want our staff to ever leave. We want them to enjoy working there and, and therefore treat the, the patients well. So a lot of the stuff that you've covered from the perspective of an entrepreneurship really does translate and is really important. It's actually it's a lot of what we do here on the show as well. So yes, for those out there, if you like what uh, Pernay has to say, you should definitely check out his, uh, his podcast, MD to Entrepreneur. Then there's one more question that I, that I want to get to before we go. And I had a guest a few weeks ago talking about climate change and medicine and, and how it's going to impact the practice of, of medicine. How is that impacting your choice of investments? You know, as someone who's living in New York and it is 40 degrees every day and hasn't snowed <laughs> all season and up north, right, in in the Catskills, in the Berkshires, like there's no snow. And my wife is from Switzerland. We go see her family every Christmas. No snow, right? Things are changing. So how does that come into play when you're making investments, especially when these investments are supposed to be, right? You're investing, you're taking out a mortgage. This is a, you know, this is a 10 year mortgage. This is maybe a 30 year mortgage. Things are going to be, things are going to be different by the time you've paid this off. So how is that involved in your decision-making? So it's definitely involved, especially when you're in somewhere like Houston, like Texas. So uh, people will come up to us and they'll say, hey, we have this deal. It's in a hundred year floodplain. And that's a nope for us because we're, we've been having, you know, a hundred year flood every couple of years. There's thousand years and everything's being accelerated. So climate is definitely something that we have to keep in mind, especially in, uh, so in Florida, you got to worry about hurricanes. The nice thing is that we're insured for that. And that's something that we also need to keep in mind that we have the right insurance, not just they'll replace all our stuff, but they'll replace our income, right? If you if it takes them two years to replace your housing, you're losing two years of rent unless you have the right thing. So we're being very selective with the deals that we do, especially in floodplains, fire areas in California. And I think all these climate tragedies or uh, natural disasters are just happening more often. Regardless of what you think about climate change, can't argue that things are happening more often. And we have to assume that these things that were super rare are going to happen more often. So try to avoid the stuff that's going to happen more often and then uh, make sure you have good insurance. All right. Awesome. Well, you've convinced me. So if I want to invest, uh, where do I find you? I'm at Ascent equitygroup.com. Uh, you can sign up for our newsletter. We give out information and uh, 
there's also information to get on my calendar. I'm happy to talk. Uh, what we really want is we want doctors to get into good deals. Even if it's not our deals, we're happy. As long as you're investing right, you're investing in real estate and a sponsor, that's great. So I'm happy to talk about anything real estate related. Love it. One of my friends who's in real estate is fond of saying, the stock market is for people not smart enough to invest in real estate. So uh, <laughs> there's there's a lot to that. So if one of, if people want to follow you online specifically, you know, where do they find the podcast? Where do they find you? My podcast is From MD to Entrepreneur. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, Google, and the best place to reach out to me is LinkedIn. Pranay Parikh. Fantastic, Dr. Pranay Parikh, Ascent Equity from MD to Entrepreneur. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast player. I'm also available for medical legal consulting and keynote speaking if you're interested, or to just give us some feedback on the show, email me at brad at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com. I'll see you next week. The ideas expressed in this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers.